Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Good morning, Kirk. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Sheldon, and how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It um, We have this weird thing going on right now. The sun is out. Mm-hmm. And it's actually heating up the outside. So normally in the winter here, the sun comes through our triple pane windows and heats up the house. And it's nice and warm, but it doesn't actually heat up the outside. It's going to hit like 20 some degrees today. Oh, wow. I can hardly wait till we see a day oh, like that here. It, I, I think we're supposed to get that later on. The yeah. Week. Um, I actually brought out the patio furniture yesterday and it's all set up. I was out there this morning. It was only like plus five. So I had a blanket on, but uh, the sun was there. I had to wear sunglasses. Amazing. It's uh, we, we don't get a lot of it, uh, but like the five months or whatever of, of, of beautiful um, sun and stuff is just great. I love it. Well, I was out yesterday spraying my apple trees with for the first time ever, and um, apparently there are two different sets of instructions. There's the set of instructions for mixing the two bottles of concentrate, mm-hmm. and then hidden behind a label uh, is the set of instructions of what to do with the mix. I didn't see those second oh, sets, no. so I just took the two bottles of concentrate, two to one. I thought, wow, this is weird. I would have expected some dilution here, but nope. In they go into the bottle, <laughs> slosh around, root mix really good. And so I I had enough. So I did two apple trees with pure concentrate, <laughs> which normally would do 30 trees. So, Those uh, apples are going to be up. like the size of watermelons. <laughs> Either. Well, they're for pesticide. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm just hoping the apple tree survives. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I thought of hosing them down with water, but I thought, well, I'll check the budding leaves first. If they show signs of distress... Then all those are down with water. But um, so far, they're just outside my window here. So far, it looks like it might be all right. Maybe. We'll, well see. I, I'm assuming there won't be pests within about six miles of those trees just from the smell. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I was putting, I was spraying this stuff on with a bumper spray. And I thought, wow, this is powerful stuff. Like anything downwind is going to get. <laughs> and I just the I mean just to wash my hands afterwards I washed and rewashed and I didn't really get any on my hands it was just, just the, it was just the this. drift and I was not standing downwind either so it was very powerful okay. I think I may have fixed the neighbor's apple trees <laughs> while I was at it um, okay the EPA is now going to be at your door in the next couple minutes here from uh, <laughs> oh yikes uh in instructions that that's uh that's awesome stuff Uh, yeah two sets two different sets two different places well done (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah you you need to jump online and send in a uh a form (laughs) on their website (laughs) (laughs) yikes oh man so uh yeah, so spring's here. Um, birds woke me up this morning at six. That was amazing. Um, not a, that ma- as amazing as I would have liked to have been woken up at eight or seven at least. But, 
Those early birds wanted the worm, I guess. And uh, yeah, so what else? What's been going on on, on your side of the uh, the lakes from here? Um, uh, well, not much other than the grass is growing like crazy. And my, I just got about five minutes into mowing it when the lawnmower broke down. So I've been waiting uh, days, like six days for parts. Meanwhile, the grass is getting really high and we're having people over this weekend. So um, I don't know what to do. Probably get a baler in and bale the hay after I mow the lawn. And goats aren't an option. Uh, I've been... No, I... They're too much trouble. Too much trouble. They're cute though. Yeah. The, the baby ones are really cute. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, that's the mistake people make <laughs> in general <laughs> with dogs, cats, goats. Yeah, what could go wrong? Oh man, our our dog. We were ready to give him give him away. He uh, he woke me up the other night by uh, I think it was. Well, no, the first time was midnight. He had to go outside, and I'm like, okay, I'll let him out. And uh, so he takes a couple steps off the deck onto the grass and just oh, plastic. He had eaten farmer sausage wrapper. Oh no! Good thing we're, he threw we're glad it up. he threw it up. And uh, yeah. but then he's like, "Oh, I should eat this." Oh no! The, yeah, they yeah. do things like so that. So I'm like running outside. I'm not wearing a whole lot because it's midnight, and so grab it with my bare hands just so I did, so he couldn't get it again. And oh, oh no. yeah, yeah. Well, sometime I'll have to tell you my dog in the tent story when he started. Oh, no. uh, we'll we'll talk about that in another another time when there's a bit more time in the tent. Yikes. All right. Yeah, if your dog starts whining in the tent, get it out. <laughs> Don't ignore it. Good to know. Good to know. All right. <clears throat> so for those of you who are watching, uh, today's stream is on the, um, I guess, concept or uh, philosophy of legislating morality and how much should Christians be engaged in the um, – sort of trying to get Christian beliefs, Christian views into the law um, to, um, to basically have the rest of the, the nation, the province, or state, whatever you're, where you're in. How much should Christians be involved in that idea? Um, and uh, it's something I've been thinking about a long time because I – uh, similar to the freedom of speech conversation we had last week, I think it's a tendency to want to, okay, this is what, this is what my beliefs, beliefs are, whatever they are. Um, and I want others to do the same thing. Now, Kirk, we, I know we had a little bit of prep time on this. You had, you had brought up some Bible verses in terms of what the government's role is, according to Scripture. So why don't we start there? What is the government's role according to the Bible? Well, okay. Um, <clears throat> there's a little quote from Romans chapter 13 where he specifically talks about our relationship with the government and what the government, what God expects the government to do. And he says, it's a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. And here's the key part. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God 
an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So my takeaway from that is that from God's perspective, the, the central role of government is to um, basically punish evil. And so that's God's expectations. Um, <clears throat> now, in, 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 in history and in life, uh, there is a problem. And the problem is, number one, what happens if the government becomes corrupt? Problem number that, two, that would what never happen, Kirk. It would never happen. <laughs> what, what happens if the population, you know, becomes corrupt? When I, when I say corrupt, I'm talking about in, in relation to what's evil and what's good. So as a civilization becomes increasingly corrupt, God says it tends to uh, say that what is evil is actually good and what is good is actually evil. And we're seeing that in today's civilization or society. So traditional Judeo-Christian morality, for example, is uh, some aspects now are seen by our culture as evil. Other aspects that once were evil under Judeo-Christian moral principles are now regarded as a right, a legislated right, a judicial, you know, granted by our, our government and our judiciary. So that's where things get complicated because then the government's no longer enforcing uh, or punishing, and I quote here, bringing wrath on the one who practices evil. They end up actually bringing wrath on the one who practices good. But there's another complication. And that's what if the population itself is not interested in, um, you know, Judeo-Christian moral principles or what the government says. And uh, that complicates things further. Now, previous, up until a couple of years ago, I used to think that basically uh, the government follows the population, like at least in a democracy. So the population decides, what do we like? And, oh, this one here matches most closely to what we want. Therefore, we'll vote this government in and the government, therefore, feels obligated to continue to do polls to see what the population wants so that they can continue offering them that. And uh, so if the population goes corrupt, if they deviate from the uh, God's moral principles, uh, then the government tends to um, go that road. And if they try to legislate, let's say, traditional morality, because traditional morality actually uh, and that's a vague term, but we're going to talk about the traditional morality in many different cultures, not just Judeo-Christian cultures, is not that far off. There's a quite a bit of overlap, a huge overlap with what we would call Judeo-Christian morality. So traditional morality is a larger umbrella term, but if the government insists on legislating traditional morality and the population doesn't like it, uh, they get turf. They'll turf the government. But that's what I used to think. And that's partly true still, I believe. But what I saw in the last two years is that, and with the government and the media, is that a there's a much higher percentage of people in our society who can be um, influenced by the government and the media. Uh, so that if they had no position, or even if they were slightly against something, if the government and the media begins to promote a message, I was surprised. I was really actually shocked that how many people are actually 
influenced by that. They don't necessarily think through things critically. It's just this daily onslaught of propaganda, um, government positions, media, and so forth that, that just seem to change the minds of the general population. I suppose, like I read about it back in the Cold War, how they would arrest certain people and part of the brainwashing that would go on was to subject the prisoners every day to education times. Re-education re camps. Re-educate people by constantly repeating things. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that this seemed to work, but I thought it would only work under duress, under like being in jail and being subject to this day after day food deprivation. But no, it actually works for the general population when they're not actually all that deprived. So here's the, here's the conundrum we find ourselves in. The government does seem, from what we read here, to have a moral responsibility or a God expect responsibility to legislate um, according to what's right and wrong and punish those people who do wrong. And if they do that, it will influence a substantial chunk of the population. That's on the one side. On the other side, if, this, if the population in general is really going down a different road, um, they resent the government. They'll not elect them next time and they'll just go their own route anyways. In other words, we see two things happening here. There's intrinsic motivation and there's extrinsic motivation. The government can provide extrinsic pressure, even coercion. Um, but if you really want to see change, it really ought to happen from the inside intrinsically. And if the government coerces and uh, what well, it's not a good society to live in when a government increases the number of laws, increases the penalties, maybe even let, brings in emergency act or whatever to make enforce its will on the people or its version of events on the people. It's not the greatest situation, but if the people, the general population intrinsically wants to do things the right way, that's a whole better program to run on. And when we look at Jesus Christ, and what he modeled when he was here, there were plenty of things to protest. For example, uh, Roman colonialism. They were under the heel of the Roman Empire. Uh, human rights abuses like whippings and floggings to the point where people would die, crucifixions. And it wasn't just on Easter. The, Jesus and the two thieves weren't the only people crucified. This was common practice in the Roman world. For crucifixion and they would hang them up along the road you know and they shield your children's eyes as you walk by so there's human rights abuses there's slavery uh there was plenty of things plenty of issues here so what did jesus do the the leaders wanted or the general population wanted him to make the government wanted him to take over basically but it wasn't his time yet to do that Instead, everything he focused on had to do with intrinsic change, the relationship of the person with God. And when that happens, then something else spreads throughout society like, like yeast throughout dough. And you actually begin to see a more powerful, positive change rather than trying to make the government you know, enforce extrinsic motivation to do what's right. So when I, when I think of Romans... Um... Uh, so Paul's writing this letter to this church 
and he makes these statements about the role of government. And I, I could, my guess is that was um, not something he was expecting to see in his lifetime was that the government of that time would be doing this. Like it, it's, it, it would be a miracle to have governments doing what he is suggesting in, in Romans that they would be doing. Am I right in saying that? I guess it depends how how much we want how much evil we want government to address. If we just want them to address, let's say, murder and stealing, well, most governments address that, and no matter how corrupt they are, or how far away they are, or how atheistic they are, they still have laws against murder and stealing. Although, um, in the Roe versus Wade thing, that gets a little blurry there because of, of things which are highly controversial at the moment. But um, for, let's say, pornography, I, I know that the laws have changed huge on that since, uh, well, in the last 30 years. Uh, and this is where the issue was first raised to me of, should the government legislate morality? And it was back on the porn thing back around in the 19, it was the early, late at 1980s, early 1990s. And it was uh, a person in my class suggested that the government should not be making laws against pornography uh, and simply because that's a moral issue and government cannot legislate morality. So that is actually a question. What do we mean when we say, should the government legislate morality? That's different, I think, than should the government pass laws against bad behavior. But in general, as you point out here, um, <laughs> Sheldon, is that God has an idea of what's evil and what's right and wrong, and that will not happen until God Himself rules, because that would be that would be a miracle. There have been brief times in history where you have some pretty good governments, but in general, um, and specifically towards the end of history, God said it's just going to get really bad. Mm -hmm. In fact, government will enforce evil almost completely at the expense of everything that is right and good. So Jesus spent a lot of time being upset at the leaders of um, that day, but it wasn't the government. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the religious leaders of the day that he spent the majority of his uh, anger at. Um, it was very, very directed at those people and they were the people that ended up um, requesting that the Romans put them to death. But um, why was it so important for Jesus to worry about those leaders instead of the Romans who were actually the ones in control? <laughs> yeah, well, that's an excellent question. And I, I suspect I just off the top of my head here is because he was focusing on the religious leaders hypocrisy. You see, it was the, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders colors and taints the idea of God. In fact, other places in the Bible, uh, God talks about these leaders as um, profaning his name, the name of God. And so if the solution, if the, if the, 
perfect solution to evil is actually intrinsic change within a person when they begin when they put their faith in in God or in Jesus Christ to make that change um, then religious hypocrisy is actually a major threat a major problem a stumbling block an obstacle in many people's minds and it is to this day I mean I hear so much um, so many objections about religious hypocrites. Uh, that's one, one objection to Christianity. But another problem is what we might call culture-led Christianity, which is just basically a different kind of God that's been molded to be acceptable. If Jesus were here today, I think his, uh, he would certainly, I mean, we always think of the legalistic, uh, rule-driven, expectation-driven type of Christian who has lots of rules and regulations, and he would certainly address that. But those I find today are more rare. What is very common are, on the other side, the progressive Christians, the culture-led Christians. where These would be people who are led by culture, and their view of God is, is led by culture and what culture finds acceptable and this actually is like a decoy from people actually having a relationship with God because they can have a form of Christianity that actually is very appealing because we're all shaped by our culture. But it's not going to lead to a relationship or a Christ-led form of Christianity. So this is why I think back in the day he was so, he didn't, he already said virtually anything about the Romans who were in power and committing all this colonialism, slavery, human rights, atrocities, virtually nothing about that. And a ton about the religious hypocrites who had this religion that did not lead to a relationship and intrinsic change within the individual. And I think that's why, because intrinsic change is the most important thing if we want to see change. And the religious hypocrites are one of the major obstacles to that, that prevent people from going the real road uh for those of you who are watching uh feel free drop a question or comment in the chat we probably aren't going to deal specifically with um the things like roe versus wade and um and individual type good versus evil questions like if you're if you're asking is this is this evil? Is this good? I don't know if we're going to be dealing directly with those kind of things just because YouTube will block us and we'll lose our websites and all that stuff. But um, what we're getting at of here is the actual philosophy and the, and the um, principles behind um, where Christians should be focusing their energy. And um, when I think of the disciples in, uh, they wanted Jesus to uh, come in be the king, take over. Um, it wasn't even that, that, that they wanted him to totally destroy Romans. It was more, we just want our country back and we want our own king. We want to, and so the disciples are wanting that. The people of the time are wanting that. Jesus comes as the king of the Jews, but not, the way they expected. And he always talked about his kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. Is that going to be a democracy? 
No, it'll be a theocracy uh, for sure. And um, so, but in the meantime, we're stuck with human governments here. And I'll say a couple of things about that. Number one, there are politicians that I greatly respect who actually want to do the right thing. And I, I support those. So with this description of government, the given in Romans 13 to, you know, basically uphold or bring, be an avenger of wrath on those who practice evil. When I see an election time coming, <clears throat> first of all, I pray for the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's really, that's... That's, that's a much thing. better election day scenario is for Jesus Oh, I, I do. But in the meantime, I, I look at the candidates and I look at the parties, and I know what God says the role of government is, is to be an avenger, basically to enforce, to punish those who do evil, to have some sort of system of laws of what's right and wrong and those who mess up punish those those guys so i'll look at the different candidates and different parties and i will vote for the one that um is perhaps most closely aligned with with what i think is right and wrong but the problem is is that in real life any given party has issues i mean it depends and, and then you're left with prioritizing like I think innocent human life is is very important, but what about corruption in the government? And what about some of these other things with regard to sexuality and so forth? See, I see things from a short term and what the immediate consequences are, but some of these things that look relatively relatively harmless in the short term can produce massive devastation in the long term. And that's where... J.D. Annan's work on the role of, of how he showed how, from history, from 86 cultures, how if a culture loosens up their moral, their sexual morality, it, it always leads to a collapse of that civilization within three generations, no exceptions. It's irreversible. And what a collapse looks like, well, in the short term, loosening up sexual restraint might seem like a good idea, but long term, it can lead to the death of in today's culture, the death of t many tens of millions or even hundreds of millions when a when you have a collapse of the of the civilization. So back to government, um, I don't think we'll ever see. Well, I know we will never see a perfect government, and not even close. Uh, I pray for the return of Christ, and my voting is becoming very complicated because of the. There's no perfect party. And this one here emphasizes that. That one emphasizes this. They, and I'm left. Well, which evil? Which is the of, of this pile of evil over here, and this pile with they're mixed in with some good, and this pile of evil over here with their good, and it's not the same. Which one am I going to vote for? And it's not easy. I do. I, you know, that's that's part of my responsibility. I also, think we have a responsibility to speak up in what way we can when we see uh, injustice happening. Like, for example, um, let's take the residential schools. Uh, maybe people didn't know, the average person out on the street didn't know what was going on, maybe. But there were people who maybe did know what was going on. And, you know, I would say a Christian has a moral obligation to speak up. Anytime you see a government-run injustice you need to speak up although and not just government run any, any kind, kind of injustice, of injustice. Yeah. 
Yeah. But the there's another additional problem, and this is brought out by, um, oh, the book, who, the book called Who Really Cares by um, Arthur Brooks. I was just looking at the title down here. Uh, he, he was, um, he felt when he started doing his research, he thought he was under the impression that the more liberal side of our culture is the one who is really doing something about injustice. But what if, uh, because they lobby the government, they're always protesting and lobbying the government and pressuring the government to fix this injustice over here or that inequity over there. But what he found is that the more conservative part of the population on average roughly does twice as much when it comes to actually devoting their time, their daily, their hours of the week to injustice, their finances twice as much, even things like donating blood. So basically speaking up and doing something about injustice or not doing something, that, there's a difference there. Speaking up about injustice and doing something about it. And speaking up, there's a lot of that goes on. But when you actually examine what are they actually doing, not a lot. Whereas Christ is more concerned about what you, your, how you yourself are doing intrinsically, first of all, between you and God, which then gives you the power to do something about what's going on around you, to actually get out and do something, crack your wallet open, that sort of thing, to actually do something rather than just simply lobby the government. Yeah, and when I, when I think of... Um the solutions that are usually um, if millions and millions and millions of dollars are spent to lobby the government to do um, to in, put a law in place to have some sort of moral um, moral code that people have to follow. We haven't changed anybody's mind. We haven't changed anybody's heart or attitude towards it. We've just put a punishment in place for somebody to break it. But the other thing is they usually don't solve the problem. Yeah, it's well, usually it's just I mean, some way of uh, putting more power structure in place that will end up usually <laughs> with a lot of unintended consequences that now it's hard to fix because you've got a bureaucracy that are that's now um, in the way. And so when, when I think of legislating morality, it's often that, um, okay, what do you do to actually um, solve the problem? Because having a few more government workers that are making decisions usually isn't, I, I can't actually think of a thing that's been put in place that's actually solved the problem that they say. And then the issue is, oh, we just need more money. We just need more money. We just need more money. And at the end of the day, you haven't changed anybody's heart. You haven't changed anybody's mind. One of the problems, well, there's two that come to mind. You've, you've really highlighted one of the problems, and that's intrinsic change. And so um, a friend of mine who is a police officer retired after 30 years of work. And he said when he retired, he had to enforce three times as many laws as he had to enforce 30 years ago. And so what the government will tend to do is that they, they, in order to punish whatever they think is evil, 
Um, if the people don't change, then they have to introduce more laws. And of course, the people are creative. So they figure out ways around those laws, loopholes and so forth. So then they pass more laws to plug those loopholes and those gaps over there. And then people become even more creative and figure out new ways. So then they pass even more laws. And this is why, in general, as a population drifts away from faith in God, they drift toward faith in government. And with that comes the obligation the government feels then is to make people behave. And so you will have, on the one hand, two laws given by God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbors yourself. But then the government tries to flesh that out with, with many hundreds of laws that don't count the first one. So without the work of God in your life, you're going to need intrinsic motivation and the government will provide that. So that's problem number one is never ending increase in laws. Like, and they don't do anything. Like I'm thinking right now, some of the politicians, one is um, when it says they're going to ban handguns in Toronto because there are gang members shooting, shooting one another. And I'm thinking, well, if there's a demand for, let's say, illegal drugs, we have seen already that there will be creative ways to meet that demand. And it's the same thing here. What the government really needs to do is to, is to change people's hearts. Now, that's not, that's not the role of government. God never expected government to change people's hearts. That is an intrinsic change that happens in our relationship with God. Because people will, if their hearts aren't changed, they're just going to do what they want to satisfy the demand. Creatively, intellectually, um, it's just going to happen. The second problem with uh, expecting the government to solve problems of um, whatever sort is highlighted and illustrated by a news item that was on uh, one of our major new networks uh, several years ago. They were looking at our Medicare system here in Canada. And they said that approximately half of all our federal taxes goes that we pay to the federal government goes to health care. But each level of government has to get paid out of that part of your income tax. So the, the department that collects the income tax needs to be paid. Then the federal government and the Department of Finance, the Department of Health, and then they give that money to the provinces, government and their federal, their provincial government levels need to paid the Department of Health, for example, such that they said out of every dollar that the that they, you give to the government for um, Medicare, for medical assistance, med medical care, um, 79 cents goes to paying the various levels of bureaucracy. Only 21 cents gets to the actual clinics and hospitals. So yes, you can look to the government to solve our problems. But it'll revolve two things. Number one is a massive increase in, in laws. Number two is a horrendous and efficient use of the, of the money that working people will earn in their own trying to provide livings for their families. And that's why often people think that organizations that are funded by people that are more conservative are so flush with cash. They aren't really like I don't know of any, but the appearance is there. It's simply because when you make a donation to, a, let's say, a Christian charity, or whatever, a good one will typically it's the opposite. You'll see about 85 percent of your dollar go actually to what needs to be gone to and maybe like 14 percent or 15 
going just to support the the um, the overhead, the office rentals and machines, equipment, that sort and of thing. And if it, it's not working, it won't get donations and it'll get shut down and something yes. else will come up that will hopefully do something better. And Yeah, hopefully the people will be looking at how well their money is being spent, which, which unfortunately they don't. I know some charities out there that it's like 80, 85% overhead and a wee tiny bit. And there's some very well-known ones, which I won't name because I don't have the actual, I'm not up on the stats right mm -hmm. now before I stick my neck. Up. I, I just want to respond. Uh, Peppa said in the comments about specific, as I said, about the specific things and getting kicked off YouTube and stuff. It's, um, we also have some other issues in terms of our charitable license and stuff that in Canada, we cannot get involved in specific political um, conversations. Um, so uh, there's also the charity piece that is we're dealing with here, but I don't actually think the issue is specifically abortion or anything like that, because it's, it's the heart issue that is the point of this conversation because the government never changes the heart or if it does, it's usually not towards God. So I want to take, take a look back and actually get, get to a, maybe it's a, a question of, um, of philosophy that drives a lot of the conversation around things like, um, uh, humanity's role in the world, those kind of things. But are humans good or are they evil? Where what's our what's our line there? Because if if government's not involved and there are no rules put in place, do humans do the right thing? Or do we need somebody to control us in that way? Um, well, I know it's politically incorrect to say that humans are anything but intrinsically good. I know it's politically incorrect to say that, but the fact of the matter is, is that if you just take a look around, we have a problem called human nature. Humans are not, uh, humans have a serious problem and that serious problem is our own human nature. So there's one or two ways to handle that. One is intrinsic change. The other is extrinsic enforcement. And so uh, the government's role is extrinsic enforcement. And uh, they are supposed to do things like protect the innocent, for example. That's what they're supposed to do. Um, but I've, I've noticed in the recent conversations this week online, or not conversation, news reports, that um, the demonstrations the protests. And I look at this and I see two, two groups that are worlds apart. And I look at the one group and I say, I don't even understand how they can take their position. Um, there's a fundamental problem with humanity if one endorses, let's say, the taking of innocent life, a fundamental issue. And it's not going to be solved by government. There is some deeper, serious problem here. And I can only see an intrinsic change there. And the problem is our human nature, basically. It's our human nature that's, it just goes downhill. Like the Bible says, our, our, our original nature or the way we're born is in a state of corruption. And 
corruption means it gets worse and worse. And so if we, we have different roles. So a politician or a judge or person in the media, they're in a position to say, here's what, you know, the maybe provide some extrinsic motivation or enforcement when it comes to the government on what's right. But um, at the end of the day, I, for myself, I can only say the way I change personally is God working in my heart. And until and that's so we have different jobs in this world. And I think the first and foremost priority a Christian has is summed up in maybe like this. It is to prepare to meet God and help others do the same. That's our first and foremost priority. Uh, prepare to meet God, basically, you is to focus on loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength the way he meant us to love him. And out of that comes the power to then begin to love our neighbor. And secondly, um, yes, the, the what's called the Great Commission. Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So when we look at the life of Christ and what sort of culture he lived in and what sort of government was in place at the time, we say, well, what, how did he occupy his time? Where, where was his priorities? And his priorities was always on the intrinsic change that comes by putting our faith and love in Jesus Christ. That is his first and foremost. Then different believers here in this world will have different specific roles to play when it comes to government, for example, when it comes to the judicial system and so forth. And even in, if you've got a job in the media, uh, arguing, and, and you can write, and some, some Christians will be gifted in their communication ability who are not in those things, but still be able to articulately argue in the public square for a particular area of righteousness or what's right and what's wrong. But the bulk of us, the bulk of us, uh, uh, what happens is that the bulk of us, I think, get waylaid and distracted from our mission, our specific mission. So I think each person, what's my specific mission here? It may or may not include, you know, speaking up, lobbying the government, becoming a me member of parliament or whatever, may or may not be that. But once you know what your specific mission is, and it's always within the larger context of preparing to meet God and help others do the same then we have to be careful not to become distracted from our specific mission. So I, I, I have enormous temptations to get involved in. When I was younger, I did a lot of letter writing to MPs and took part in various protests. Um, but I don't have the energy to actually do both, my, both that and my mission, not me personally. There's emotional energy that one needs if you're really going to get involved and do something in those areas. I have to, therefore, focus on my God-given mission, make sure I don't get distracted from it, because it's very easy. Just this morning, just this morning, I saw a Facebook post, and I, oh, I got to say something about this. I got to say something. And I knew that if I say something because of whose page it's on, I'll be in a big fight. Let's put it that way. It'll probably go on for days. It'll be a big fight. And uh, then later on, I said no. And then later on, about oh, half an hour later, I thought, I got to say something. And then no. 
I have to choose my battles. As a Christian, I have to choose my battles. Now, I think I will say something, but it'll be to that person personally, not on Facebook. I'll just have a private discussion with this person so it doesn't become a big fight out in public. Um, and it, it, it had to do more with cultural Christianity, progressive Christianity. So I have to, I can't, we all have to make sure we never get distracted from our primary mission, which will be slightly different for each person, but it'll be under the overall objective of preparing to meet God and helping others do the same. So uh, Peppa asked, uh, isn't it about protecting innocence and not changing hearts? And I think that is so, sort of, when you, when you boil it down, that's where we're at, is, is the idea to protect innocence, which um, in a way, yes, I understand what you're saying, but there really isn't anything in terms of innocence when we're talking about earth, humanity, um, the, the idea of, uh, young children, um, totally, I understand where, where you're coming from there and heaven's there. My question is more is, is the battle with the government to make the law change, which may or may not actually change anybody's behavior. It would just potentially drive it underground. Or is the idea of, um, uh, I, I've seen a lot of comments about, okay, are is the pro-life movement really pro-life when once the baby's born, they don't care anymore? Which is a bit of a... Um, straw man's argument, but um, what is like, if Jesus was here today, I don't see him on the, on the front lines of a specific issue like that. I see him as the one that's calling people to himself and saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent change your hearts and come to me because I am love. I, I love you. I died for you. And then the change happens in, in Romans talks about the renewal of the mind. It, it, it gets into the change there instead of asking people to, um, to be perfect before they come to him. Am I wrong? <laughs> it's seldom the case that one is completely right or completely wrong about anything. Um, so half and half? I guess. No, it's, it, well, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, I think um, God's expectation, if we just talk about innocence in terms of what's generally understood in the law, uh, God's expectation is the government does protect the innocent. They should be not permitting the um, the termination of innocent human life. That That is God's expectation of government. But the interesting thing is, is that God actually does not give, he gives tons of, of instructions in the New Testament of how we ought to live our Christian life, how we should change. But he doesn't actually flesh this out as to 
it says that the government is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath, but he doesn't flesh out, well, so what are we supposed to do about that? He doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do about that. And um, the focus seems to be more on ourselves personally. So I think... Is that different than the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, well, it started off as a pretty much a theocracy until they decide they want a king. But then the kings came along. But, and you see good kings and bad kings. But when I think of today's governments, how are we going to change the government? So there's different methods. You can bring pressure on the government. You can vote. You can have protests or whatever. That's Those are all ways that have maybe some influence on the government. But there we forget that there's another way to change the thinking of the government. And that's through what Christ can do within the population, within the individual's hearts. And when you see a massive spiritual awakening within the population, those people then become, well, that's part of the government too. So the actual thinking of the government and its ability to be an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil, then moves more into line with what God, what is really evil and what is really right. So the government does have an obligation, a moral obligation from God to protect innocent life. But at the same time, how do we change that? And there's different ways. And I think we underestimate as Christians the power of asking God for a massive spiritual awakening in our culture including the government. In fact, there is one thing God does tell us we can do about changing the government or directing. He says he wants us to pray for those in authority. Now, he sets up those those in authority, including the ones. He sets them up. He takes them down. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because if God's setting people up, I used to think in my young naivety that therefore they should all be good, but no. You look at the Bible and you'll find that he'll give the kind of government that the population deserves, not just out of spite, but to discipline the population or to allow the population to experience the direct, the consequences of where they're going to reach such a low point that you do have a spiritual renewal or awakening, but he does give us a tool. So I would say the Christians number one focus, if you want to see the government change, is to pray for the government. And, and I actually think we need to think about this because when you are praying for the government, you're asking God to now act in the hearts of the individual people within that form, that government. And it's not just the government. I pray for the Supreme Court. Individual members of the Supreme Court, you're asking God to work within. God has access to the hearts of our governing authorities that no one on earth has. He, he, People I know often will respond in stubbornness and resist pressure, like our politicians will resist a protest sometimes. But in reality, God has access, and they don't even realize that. So the power of a Christian praying for the Supreme Court, and I also pray for the media. The media is in massive need of God working in the hearts of the leaders within our media. So we really, I think, badly underestimate when we take the one most obvious way that God says we can change government, which is by praying for those in authority. 
and yet probably spend very little time doing that. And instead, we'll much rather go out there and protest or write a letter. And, and, and that's, these aren't necessarily wrong things. I have been involved in protests and writing to my MPs uh, myself, but eventually I, I guess I, I just began to ask, what is, I always got responses just basically telling me the government's position. I already know the government's position. That's the problem. But, uh, but I find, I believe that if we actually took God seriously and prayed for our governing authorities, that is the most powerful way to see a government then move more into line with creating the kind of laws that actually protect the innocent and upheld what's truly right and punish what's truly wrong. But that requires an in-person change of the heart, which God can do. So Brittany said, I think seeking the good of my neighbor includes preventing hurt that could happen when people live in their depravity. Law can help us with this. And I, I think that's what Romans is saying is, yeah, if the government is putting laws into place that prevent evil, evil from happening, yes, that's correct. But it still doesn't change the heart. So in, in eternity and in... Um, you can you can have a society that is acting good they're they're acting the the they're not stealing things uh it's a nice gated community they're preventing any evil from coming in they have their hoa and and their blinds are all correct and and all of that but they're still not following god so how do you how do you focus energy towards helping people experience who Jesus is? I think the, um, like, as Brittany said, I do, I do agree that the role of government, and we see that in Romans, is to stop hurting those people because of the depravity of, let's say, the government or the society at large. But as you say, how... How do, we, how do we see the government do that when, when they're going in the wrong direction? The whole, it's government is like, it's not like an individual where you can have a chat over coffee and sometimes see a big change and then things straighten out. It, government's like a massive freight train or an oil tanker ship or an iceberg that has, it might move slow, but it has enormous momentum. And how can we ensure that the government is actually going to protect the innocent life? And to stop the immoral, like say sexual immorality and, and everything else that we think is key to a fine, moral, upstanding life. And there again, uh, that's the issue. That's the issue. How can we see that happen? And um, Christ seemed to focus on the intrinsic change that was required. And the New Testament commands us to pray for those in authority. Now, I, I know I see it online a lot people just sneering at prayer, like, uh, oh yeah, get down on your knees and pray. You know, it's, you might as well be, you might as well be picking your nose for all the good it's going to do the government. But I guess that's the difference between a person, let's say a follower of Christ who actually believes that when they pray, they're talking to God and, and not. So I do think that, um, 
God has given us a power, two powerful things to change government. One is, right now you can change it by praying. Number two, takes a little bit longer, but it changes it by a spiritual awakening within that society. And uh, I think most Christians don't believe that, actually. <laughs> I mean, they'll assent to that. But when I look at how they live their lives, they don't believe that prayer really does a whole lot of good when it comes to changing the mind of the Supreme Court or whatever. And as far as changing the hearts of the individual in our society, I would say most Christians are not very involved at all in sharing their faith with friends and co-workers in a way that, you know, is culturally relevant and appropriate. Um, I mean, I've just, my observations, there may be pockets where that's more common than others. Canada's pretty secular, so there's lots of opportunity for trying to be salt and light in this world. But I guess the question we got to ask ourselves as Christians, do I actually believe that a spiritual awakening in my country could change the course of government, the Supreme Court, and the media? Do I actually believe that? Secondly, I'm actually honoring Christ's command to pray for those in authority. Uh, one more comment, and then we'll end uh, for today. And uh, those of you who are watching after, uh, feel free to send in your comments. And uh, if you head to kurtgersten.com, you can send in private messages if you don't want your name out there. Um, so Peppa just posted, the body of the church should change hearts. Uh, yes, the government should protect the innocent. It should. Um, the U.S. Republican states' rights government is based on verses from Genesis. The state's decisions will bear fruit. Um, yes, uh, if, you, if you go back, there, a lot of that, there's some Christian Judeo values in the United States uh, Constitution and stuff for sure. Um, even as a Canadian, I look at the U.S. setup the way it should have should be working as the checks and balances are great um, if they worked. Uh, but as, um, as it's been stated, uh, you need virtue. And if there's no virtue, it doesn't matter all the checks and balances, they're just not going to work because you lose your, you lose the, the foundation of uh, morality in, in that. And, I think uh, you would probably agree, Peppa. Uh, there's so much corruption in, um, I would say, both of our governments right now that um, the I think it's it's lost its way. I should point out here that uh, Peppa mentions the state's decision will bear fruit. I think he's talking he or she is talking about individual states in yep. the U.S. that have actually passed laws um, to protect the innocent. Mm -hmm. uh, and in that case, you have levels of government that are actually involved in this on taking different sides. And I think if the, I think that's good. I think that the, what this, these states have done is that's in the, that's the arena. It's the government, this branch of government saying, no, this is wrong versus that branch of government, which is not, standing up for what's right. And that's the context. I think God actually designs government to, this is a good thing that some States are, I think closer to the representing God's righteousness than others. I think mainly our discussion is what does the individual do? And that includes voting for the right people. It includes praying. It may include 
speaking up in the media in appropriate way. Like one of the unfortunate things I, I'm seeing, I took a course once, uh, it was a, actually just a one day thing by a psychologist who was telling, teaching us a seminar on how to, a day long seminar on how to deal with angry people. And with angry people, you never make a statement. You never make assertions because they're just not hearing what you say. Rather, you ask questions and you seek to build bridges with that person. And you, you want that other person on the other side of the fence to, th to, to see that you actually understand their position and they feel hurt. And then you're in a more of a position that they will hear what you have to say if it's done in a gracious way. But one of the also issues we're facing right now is this polarization, this absolute, I see photographs, I see videos of two groups shouting at each other. This is, <laughs> there's got to be a better way, got to be a better way. And I think individually, we need to think very carefully. And here's one of my operating principles I try and apply to my own discussions on these things. God says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. He's actually telling us how to have interactions here. And it has to be with grace, which seasons what we say with salt. In other words, we have to be able to engage people from the other side of the offense in such a way that we can actually build bridges and, 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 and do that. So what I'm saying is we need to avoid spreading more hate, burning bridges, yelling at one another. This is exactly what we see Jesus not doing. He did not do those things. Somehow, and, and this is a lifelong process for me, lifelong, and I've got so much to learn, but somehow we need to interact with society and the individuals the way Jesus interacted with his society and the individuals somehow. Now, he flipped tables. He, he was not impressed in certain cases, but again, it wasn't with the Romans. That was with the religious hypocrites. Now, I do, I do, I do think that there is some extra, like he was God. He is God. So when God walks into his father's house and he sees that kind of corruption, it was actually a foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the end of history. And, um, but when he tells us to let our speech be seasoned with grace, uh, walking in and flipping tables and making a whip of cords and whatever. There's some things that I think Jesus did as God. That would be one of them that I'm not sure we're in a position to do as human beings, unless we're actually in a position of authority, we see evil happening and we have the backing of that position of authority to move in. And as Romans chapter 13 says, be an avenger bringing wrath on the one who practices evil. But that's not, that's the, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, uh, that's the way, that's the government's role here. They need to step in. But I am not in a position to flip tables. All right. Uh, well, we're going to end it here for today. We won't be on next Thursday, but we will uh, be back the Thursday after. Um I hope you have a great day. Leave your comments, like, 
subscribe, hit the bell if you want to be notified when we're doing new things. And I know, Kirk, you're doing some more reaction videos uh, coming up and, and stuff too. So uh, we will see you in a couple weeks live, but uh, I'm sure some stuff will appear in the meantime. Yeah. And my thanks also to those who posted comments. I think that really helps uh, mm -hmm. focus the conversation on the areas that you're interested in. Um, see you, see you in two weeks' time, I guess. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>